welcome to The Family Planning Files, a podcast developed by the National Clinical Training Center for Family Planning. I'm your host, Katherine Atchison. In today's podcast, we'll be discussing emergency contraception provision and access with Dr. David Turok. Dr. Turok is Associate Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology and Chief of the Division of Family Planning at the University of Utah School of Medicine, and in addition to his clinical and instructional work, has conducted extensive research around contraceptive use and access in the United States. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Turok. We're so excited to speak with you today. Thank you very much, Catherine. Pleasure to be here. To give a quick review for our clinicians, what are the emergency contraceptive options available in the U.S. right now? I think the easiest way to think about the currently available emergency contraception options are to think about just sort of two categories. One is the oral methods and the other are IUDs. The most commonly used method now is oral levonorgestrel, which is available over the counter without a prescription to anyone, regardless of age and, you know, under the names Plan B or My Choice and there, there's some others. There's a more effective oral option, which is ulipristal acetate, or ELA, and that's available with a prescription. And it really all started with methods, you know, using these combinations of oral contraceptive pills where people were using pills from their regular pack. It started from a group of Canadian researchers who offered this service to college students on Mondays after the weekend. And that's where the initial 72-hour limit for emergency contraception came. And then the second group are IUDs. And we've known for a long time that the copper IUD is extremely effective for preventing pregnancy after sex. And more recently, our group did a study that showed the levonorgestrel IUD has some efficacy for this as well. And we can talk more about that. Well, that is my next question. You and your group recently published data about the hormonal IUD levonorgestrel as emergency contraception. Can you walk us through that study and expand on some of the findings and implications of those findings? Happy to talk about that. So we, in January of 2020, um, our team published a randomized control trial in the New England Journal of Medicine. Um, it was a non-inferiority study of the levonorgestrel 52 milligram IUD versus the copper T380A. So in drug name terms, that's Liletta or Mirena versus Paragard. We have done a whole bunch of studies with our research partner, Planned Parenthood Association of Utah, and they are a large distributor of emergency contraception because people know in the community that they can come and get EC on a sliding scale that basically slides down to zero. And we've done a bunch of studies on oral methods and on IUDs. And in this study, people who presented for emergency contraception were offered either of the IUDs. And we had previously done a study where people were able to pick either the copper IUD or the hormonal IUD and oral levonorgestrel simultaneously if they picked that option. And this was just a straight up RCT of one IUD versus the other. Nobody got an oral method. So people had to be walking the door wanting emergency contraception. They were offered participation in the study. They had to accept randomization. And then they were randomized. They got one of the IUDs. They didn't know for the first month. In the end, we had 
data on 317 levonorgestrel IUD users and 321 copper IUD users at a month. We had pregnancy outcomes for those two groups. And in the whole study, there was one pregnancy in the levonorgestrel group. And of note, in this population, the group, we had fewer limitations to participation than a lot of emergency contraception studies. So anyone who had at least one episode of unprotected intercourse in the last five days was eligible. However, the mean number of unprotected sex episodes um, was 2.1. So people definitely were not at low risk. And in the end, you know, that we had a 0.3% one-month pregnancy rate and one EC failure in this group of over 600 people. So this was a non-inferiority study. We were just trying to show that the levonorgestrel IUD was no worse than the copper IUD. And that's what the study demonstrated. Fantastic. And going from your study, what are some of the most common things that you and your clinician colleagues hear around emergency contraception? I think it depends where we're having the conversations. I don't necessarily hear a lot of misconceptions among people who are presenting for emergency contraception or want to talk about it. Those people, I think, are very straightforward. They have a concern. They've had unprotected intercourse, and they don't want to be pregnant, and they want to do. They, they want to know what their options are, and those are straightforward conversations. What I hear outside of clinical settings is there's this concern people bring forth that emergency contraception is is an abortion, and the science on this is clear. So there have been multiple studies that have done on the oral methods for oral levonorgestrel and ulipristal acetate. And they both demonstrate that their efficacy derives from preventing ovulation. So they're really only effective before ovulation occurs. A little bit later in that for ulipristal acetate, and that's probably part of its additional efficacy. And for IUDs, we really don't have a mechanism of action data to explain that. Going towards that that efficacy, one of the big issues uh, perhaps out there is that the package labeling for the over-the-counter levonorgestrel emergency contraception pills, so the, the plan B, the my choice, indicates that it is most effective for people with a body mass index that is less than 25 and that it is not effective for those with a body mass index of 30 or more. Can you comment on this and what it means for clinical practice and patient counseling? Yeah. You know, I don't think there's a lot of people walking around who actually know what their BMI is. So that's not a super helpful way of referring to this. But per clinical guidelines, a a BMI of 25 to under 30 is overweight and over 30 is obese. So the information on this, you know, really dates back to this 2011 paper from Anna Glazier and colleagues. And, And what they did is combine the data from these two large randomized control trials of oral levonorgestrel versus oral ulipristal acetate. And in the study, they had over 3,000 people in the evaluation. And what they found was in the overweight group for oral levonorgestrel, there was a bump in pregnancy risk. And for the obese group, generally over 176 pounds, there was possibly no effect. The pregnancy rate was over 5% for those people. 
And for the ulipristal acetate, essentially there was no change um, in the overweight group. And then for the obese group, it was about the same as it was for the overweight people in, in the oral levonorgestrel group. So a little bit of a bump. You know, the implications of that are oral levonorgestrel, plan B or my choice may not work for people who are over 176 pounds, and some people say 165. And I think there's concern there. There's been a whole bunch of research after that. And the bottom line is, if you are heavier, definitely ELA or, or ulipristal acetate has greater efficacy. And there was a recent study that looked at pharmacodynamics of these drugs in, in, in double dosing oral levonorgestrel for heavier people. And Basically, the, the drug levels and the rate of ovulation was not statistically significantly lower for the double dosing group. So that's not efficacy. The ovulation rates for the double dosing group were approximate some, some ovulation rates for you know, some known effective methods of emergency contraception. But the bottom line is we don't have data now to say that double dosing is effective for oral levonorgestrel. And the recommendation is if you're heavier and want to take an oral method, use ulipristal acetate and please consider the IUD if you want the most effective thing because those methods have much lower pregnancy rates and there's no impact on weight. Are there other contraindications or health conditions that would affect the use or effectiveness of these methods of emergency contraception? Yeah, that's a great question. This stuff is really simple. And really, the only contraindication is pregnancy. And not that taking, you know, more of a exogenous progestogen, like oral levonorgestrel, is not going to harm a pregnancy. Yeah, the methods are, are safe. And, you know, beyond that, there really aren't contraindications. You know, for IUDs, the same contraindications would apply as they would in other settings. You know, for example, mucopurulent discharge at the time of IUD placement or uterine anomalies that couldn't accommodate the IUD or, you know, breast cancer for levonorgestrel IUD. We have a patient who presents in clinic requesting emergency contraception. What are some of the best ways or tips in how clinicians should discuss the differences in effectiveness and patient options when counseling. Yeah. I think the vast majority of emergency contraception users never seen by clinicians. So those are people who just, you know, access oral levonorgestrel at the pharmacy without a prescription and maybe doing it in advance. I think if somebody's in front of you and says, hey, listen, I had unprotected intercourse and I want the method that's going to most effectively prevent a pregnancy, then if efficacy is their top concern and or they're interested in an ongoing method, you know, then either the copper or levonorgestrel IUD are great recommendation. And the data supporting the copper IUD is extensive. So, you know, there's this fabulous systematic review that Kelly Cleland and colleagues conducted, and it has over 7,000 people, almost all who got copper IUDs and looked at efficacy. And the efficacy for the copper IUD for emergency contraception is less than 0.1, less than 1 in 1,000 people. For the levonorgestrel IUD, there's really just that one study that we talked about with 317 people. So the data are not equivalent. You know, we're really just beginning to gather the data on the LNG IUD for EC. And just yesterday, 
we actually enrolled our first participant in this reproducibility study where we'll provide this care for hundreds more people because Planned Parenthood, the National Medical Committee, voted to incorporate use of the levonorgestrel IUD for emergency contraception into their clinical guidelines. So anyone presenting uh, at any of their sites can get access to that care. You know, meanwhile, the CDC and WHO guidelines have not yet changed. And the idea with this reproducibility study is we can gather some more data so we can get the LNG IUD a, a step closer. Still, there'll be a big gap, but a step closer to the copper IUD and show whether, you know, the, the efficacy is, is close to what it is for copper. And then regarding the oral methods, if efficacy is the main driver then ulipristal acetate is a better choice than oral levonorgestrel. However, even when we've talked to people about this, and we did a little study with where we showed people a video that very clearly explained in three minutes the difference between the options, we still had the majority of people take plan B. So there are factors other than efficacy that are driving this. And when people just walk into the clinic, for example, you know, at Planned Parenthood, where I work, you can just walk in and walk out very, very quickly if what you want is plan B. If you want ulipristal acetate, it could take about five minutes more to get a prescription, assuming that you know there's a provider that can enter it right away. And that brings us to a, another issue. One of the things that we've started doing at the University of Utah is providing and having oral levonorgestrel available over the counter at no cost, uh, where people can pick it up. And, you know, we're doing more advanced prescription of ulipristal acetate so that people can have it in advance. And we know when people start a new contraceptive method, many of them are not going to still be using it within a year. And having a backup method on hand is a great thing. So really for all new contraceptive users, I offer an additional prescription of ulipristal acetate that they can pick up anytime. You know, if they're going to get their pills, they can get that as well and keep it on hand. And there's nothing to say that one person can't share that with another who needs it. When it's available, it can be helpful to other people too. That's a great lead to our, our next question. Some sort of uh, best practices or tips or recommendations for counseling patients and providing that advanced prescriptions for ulipristal acetate or ELA. So that's the oral emergency contraceptive that is more effective, but obviously only available via prescription. So if someone is in, you know, kind of a, a jam, it might be a little harder to get. What are your recommendations around prescribing that, especially as sort of the the backup method or the, the just-in-case? Yes, yeah. I, I think it's a great option. And, you know, I would say uh, since I've started doing this. I, I don't have stats on the, the uptake. And I would say more than half of people are interested in it. And I send the prescription. And I don't know what the pickup rate is. But that's a great idea for a study for somebody to do, uh, to offer advanced prescription of ulipristal acetate and then actually look at pharmacy pickup. What are some common issues that you and your colleagues have encountered, either in your research or your clinical work, that affect equitable access to emergency contraception? And what are some things that can be done to address these issues or, in general, just increase access to emergency contraception? Yeah. You know, there's a qualitative study. I'm not going to get the title right, but it's something like $50 for a pill? You know, the cost is a considerable barrier. 
And then, you know, even when it's over over the counter, and the idea that I that drove that was that that's going to make it much more accessible. But, you know, the other factors are there's pharmacies don't actually have it over the counter. They have it kind of behind the counter or in a locked cabinet that you have to ask for. And, you know, it's expensive and they don't want people walking off with it. And, you know, that can impact availability. People may not be comfortable asking for it. Where I practice in in Utah, we see a fair number of people who come from rural sites and, you know, they may live in a place that doesn't have a pharmacy or they might know the people who work in the pharmacy and may not be comfortable asking for EC or, or getting it there. There's been some really fabulous strategies trying to overcome this. There's a bunch of college campuses now that have vending machines that have emergency contraception. The pharmacy at the hospital I work at, there's an after-hours kiosk that you can just approach, and there's certain products that they have that people need frequently that are available. And in that kiosk, you can get no cost or leave an adjustable. You know, I think people will continue to come up with interesting strategies. Certainly there's online access of not just emergency contraception, but um, a variety of contraceptive methods, pills, patch, ring. So, you know, I, I see access as increasing and I see young people being creative about the ways that they do access it. I think that's highly reassuring. We don't have equitable distribution of it at this point. What are some good places for clinicians to learn more about emergency contraception? Our sister organization, the Reproductive Health National Training Center, has recently put out some new protocol and job aids around emergency contraception and options. But where are some other places, especially for clinicians who are interested in seeing how this hormonal IUD as emergency contraception, how that develops? Where are some good places for them yeah, to go? I'm a huge fan of uh, the National Clinical Training Center for Family Planning. They put out so much good, high-quality information that's easily accessible. And, you know, there are lots of other online sources. There's a really nice summary slide of that New England Journal article I mentioned regarding the levonorgestrel versus copper IUD study. Other organizations like the Reproductive Health Access Project. You know, there's a bunch of contraceptive initiatives also that have materials. There's one in Boston, uh, PIC, I think it's P-I-C-C-K, and our team at the University of Utah has, our team at Family Planning Elevated also has some materials available online. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation, Dr. Turok, but all good things must end. But before we say goodbye today, what are your top takeaways or things to keep in mind for clinicians as they return to their practices? Yeah, I would say talk about EC with every person you're talking about contraception with and advance prescription of ulipristal acetate for anyone who's interested. Really, I think we do our best work when we describe the full range of options and meet people's needs. And that includes looking at IUDs for emergency contraception as well for people that are interested in that. And, you know, obviously the main benefit there is highly effective for that initial need and provide highly effective ongoing contraception. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Turok, and for sharing your time and expertise. Thank you so much, Catherine. What a pleasure. Take care. For more resources about emergency contraception, go to our website, 
www.ctcfp.org. You can also access previous podcast episodes by searching for The Family Planning Files, or you can subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For transcript of this podcast, as well as other online learning activities and continuing education opportunities, you can also visit our website. You can also follow the National Clinical Training Center for Family Planning on Twitter at NCTCFP, all lowercase, and now on LinkedIn. You can sign up for our monthly newsletter, Clinical Connections, on our website. The National Clinical Training Center is funded through the Office of Population Affairs to provide continuing education, training, and technical assistance to Title X grantees, subrecipients, and service sites, and is supported by DHHS grant number 5 FPTPA 006031-02-00. This podcast is intended for informational purposes and does not constitute legal or medical advice or endorsements of a specific product. Opinions expressed herein are the views of the contributors and do not necessarily reflect the official positions of the Department of Health and Human Services, or DHHS, Office of the Assistant Secretary of Health, or OASH, the Office of Population Affairs, or OPA, the University of Missouri-Kansas City, or UMKC, or the National Clinical Training Center for Family Planning or NCTCFP. No official support or endorsement by DHHS, OASH, OPA, UMKC, and or the NCTCFP is intended or should be inferred. Theme music written by Dan Jones and performed by Dan Jones and the Squids. Other production support provided by the Collaborative to Advance Health Services at the University of Missouri-Kansas City School of Nursing and Health Studies. And finally, thank you to our listeners for tuning in today. We hope that you'll join us next time for another episode of the Family Planning Files. 